What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here. Home studio, Pond City Market, Atlanta. And today, everybody, boy, this was a fun one. I had my buddy Raymond Carr in here. And uh, Raymond, I got to know, he's a local Atlanta, um, boy, he does. He wears a lot of hats. He's a filmmaker. He is an art director and production designer for TV and film. And uh, most notably, he is a puppeteer. Um, so this is my first puppeteer and hopefully not my last one. But Raymond was the uh, production designer for the Stuff You Should Know TV show that we shot here for uh, for Science Channel a few years ago. And, and if you saw that movie and you saw the office sets and everything, we built all that, and Raymond was the, was the guy behind it. And he's just uh, a valued member of the Atlanta film community, has been for a long time, and just a really cool guy and, uh, and friend, and it was good to catch up with him because uh, he's a busy dude. And we haven't seen each other for a little while. So uh, aside from Facebook uh, keeping up, it's, it's been a minute. So Raymond came in today, and uh, th- it was a really, really great conversation. He, uh, The insight that he has on the craft of puppeteering is just astounding. Um, so if you're a fan of Muppets and puppets and uh, creature shops and things like that, then this is going to be right up your alley. I learned so much. Uh, just uh, from talking to Ray for just the uh, the short time that we were in here together. Uh, and it was also cool just to get to know Raymond better. Um, I point out early in the episode that, you know, you work together on film sets sometimes and you're with each other a lot, but I didn't know a ton about his background. So it was uh, very interesting to say the least, his upbringing, not the usual thing. So his pick was Labyrinth from 1986, of course, the classic Jim Henson uh, production that uh, written by Terry Jones of Monty Python fame. 
uh, produced by George Lucas. And uh, really, really good movie starring the, the late, great David Bowie. And uh, it was really good stuff. I got to watch it this morning, and it was really cool to to hear all Raymond's stories of how it all works and really got a new appreciation for his craft and, and the craft in this film. So here we go with Raymond Carr on Labyrinth. I'm excited about this because we work together, like, very closely for, mm -hmm. what, a couple of months? Yeah. And, you know, when people work on a film production, those of you listening, it's very intensive, like, you're around each other, like, you know each other's smells and, <laughs> and, and everything, but sometimes you don't know, like, small things, like yeah. where you're from. And I think you're from L.A., right? Yeah, I'm Southern California. I moved around a lot. Like, we, growing up, we moved, like, six times for no uh, explicit reason. Like, uh -huh. um, so I was born in Azusa, which is kind of, like, out in the desert. Yeah, uh, and then like Azusa. Yeah, Rialto and then Pomona. And then when I was, like, in my uh, late, like, er early teens, I moved to um, Inglewood, California. Uh-huh. And uh, Inglewood is like we were like a block away from the L.A. riots, wow. uh, which was a great story. Uh, <laughs> just because it was how old were you then? I was like, I was like, I couldn't have been more than eleven. Wow. I, it was probably like my brother's two years older than me, so it was probably like ten, eleven uh -huh. uh, in that range. Uh, and at the time, we had um, our two best friends with us. Yeah, and we're both black, obviously. And uh, my two best friends were white. And they were living with you guys? No, they just were visiting. Oh, okay. And they're, they're, they're both are like same age range. And right. Like they were our neighbors and they moved up north. And so, you know, uh -huh. when you're like that age yeah. and you haven't seen your best friends in a long time, yeah. it's just it's just chaos. Yeah. It's chaos. So uh, my brother and four boys were just like horse playing and stuff. And like the city was just On going fire. mad around us. Yeah. And <laughs> at one point, my mom just came in and was like, you guys aren't allowed to watch TV tonight. Right. <laughs> it was all like preemptive. Wow. And then around 1 a.m., they all like hustled us into a car and had, we had to drive away. Did and you we, get the fuck out of town? Yeah. we. M my parents had to put blankets over my friend's heads. Wow. Just so nobody could see that they were white as we drove out of Holy South Central shit. LA. Man, that's a script. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that's a movie. I remember very distinctly like, I don't have negative m memories about it because I was just a kid and it was like fun and whatever. And like there were tanks, not tanks, but like army reserves was called yeah, out yeah. and everything. And so we were like, Oh, like GI Joe's. Right. Right. And like driving over the freeway. And like, I remember looking to the, my right and there was just the city lights of LA and then looking to my left, just like fire, wow. just like sprinkles of fire. Holy shit. And man. we couldn't get back in there. Our, uh, our neighborhood for another like week. My dad had to like, come in and show his driver's license because this whole area was just like armed guards. Right. Like you couldn't get in. So you had to live there to get back. Yeah, exactly. And did you even know if your house was like standing? In hindsight, probably not. Because I mean, we didn't have the internet or any sort of, or, or cell phones or but anything. But as a kid, you're not I, probably kid, I was aware of that stuff. Yeah, I didn't care about that. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, it Man. didn't register. I cared about it. It just didn't register. Yeah, yeah. Of the course. gravity of the situation. And the, except until I got home. And, like, the mom-and-pop shop where we would go to get toys and candies was just burned out. It was like a car upside down, just charred out. Wow. And that stayed that way for Man. better part of a year. My brother was out there during the riots. He was a DGA trainee then. Mm. But he was, like, living out in, like, Burbank or something. Mm -hmm. um, what did your folks do? Was it, Were they in the business <laughs> at all? No. So I don't, I don't think you know about this, uh, my history, going into the puppet things. 
But we were homeschooled by church clowns. <laughs> Just say that sentence one more time for everyone at home. We were homeschooled by church clowns. Wow. There's a I lot to unpack there. I can't believe you there. didn't know this about I me. knew you had a unique history, and yeah. that's why I think I thought your dad was in entertainment somehow, because mm-hmm. I knew there was some unique right. uh, Raymond Carr, like what made Raymond Carr was a unique yeah, situation. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you could say that. Um, all right, so I, um, my parents were clowns. Um, Holy the Clown and Mr. Bigfoot. My uh-huh. mother was a white-faced clown and my dad was a hobo clown. Okay. And uh, we performed in churches and schools uh-huh. uh, across America. And my brother and I would do puppets uh, behind this PVC pipe stage with yeah. lower curtains. And my parents would do sketches and gospel illusions. Not magic, mind you, because uh-huh. magic is, <laughs> yeah, of the devil. is of the devil. <laughs> um, and it was all in the, like, we were basically the children's entertainment for uh, and we grew up in mega churches. The church uh-huh. I grew up in had fourteen thousand members. Wow! Yeah, uh, and at the height of it, we were performing two hundred times a year. Really? So we would travel the country and uh, perform. And we, your parents taught you? Uh, yeah, and uh, and I was homeschooled my whole life. Uh-huh. So like the church clowning stuff came in after. <laughs> it was kind of like a convenience uh-huh. insert to uh, our lives. Um, so how old are how old are you during this period? Are you? I I mean I did this. I started doing, so my parents like always uh, were, followed us in church, um, like being our Sunday school teachers. What denomination? Um, Non-denominational, word of faith, money people. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, And all the the people you see on TV that everybody makes fun of. Right. Uh, (laughs) uh, So we, uh, they followed us like from, you know, the preschool stuff into uh, grade school stuff. And then. The church planning thing just came out of like trying to get kids' attention, and right? Just trying to make a, an art, and we had like our services were like three hours long, yeah, like, three four hours long, and then you never knew how long they were going to go. Uh-huh. So it was uh, almost vaudevillian in the way because we had these set sketches that we would do, but we never had any scripts for them. We just kind of my mom would just like write down like little bullet points. Okay, we're going to do uh, you know ties and old fins and and word bird and, and fire dog and all this kind of stuff. We knew the sketches <laughs> yeah. that were attached to those that is things. so cool. Yeah. Now, did you have other? Was it just the four of you, or were there other kids doing like as part of the show? Or there's adults? an entire world right. underneath <laughs> the society yeah. that exists uh-huh. <laughs> to facilitate these things. No, seriously, like we. That's uh, a script too. <laughs> the Raymond Carr story. We we uh we worked for a company that uh sold a lot of puppets and mm-hmm. conning ministries and curriculum and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I worked for them. My parents were independent. Um, but my dad worked for UPS for 25 years. Okay. And then, so that was the day job. Yeah, the day job. And then on the weekends, we would do this thing. And then sometimes he would take, he was pretty vested, so he could take a lot of time off. And then he went into early retirement and then mm-hmm. did it full time. And it's actually how we moved uh, to Georgia because my parents got a job out here when I was still in high school. So uh, what you were what mid teens or something? Yeah, I was sixteen. Okay, uh, so I came out here kicking and screaming. What part uh, of town? <laughs> I moved from Santa Monica, California, to Union City, Georgia. <laughs> oh, which, if you know, talk about a culture shock. Yeah, uh, if you know Georgia, it's essentially south of the airport. Yeah, um, where uh, they didn't get the memo that uh, the South lost. Right. Uh, <laughs> just information just did not trickle down. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, probably um, still a little bit that way, <laughs> sadly. So, uh, yeah, we moved out there to another mega church that had 25,000 members. Wow, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, uh, I mean, I, I've heard of mega churches. You know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist mm-hmm. in the sort of typical 
Stone Mountain, uh, whatever, I don't even know, five or 600 people on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I knew about mega churches, but I didn't know that they were that big. Yeah, bro. That's like that's stadium shit. Yeah, they had the, the, the I grew up in a, a church that was called the Faith Dome and it was a dome uh -huh. and they had like writing on the parking lot um, grounds that you could see from the airport because it was near the airport. So you mm -hmm. could see like it was in the lane of the, so you could see the title of the thing on the top of the building. Oh, like when you flew in? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and then then we moved to here and there was another dome so mm -hmm. domes seem to be a, a thing right i guess it's just maximum amount of people but sure. yeah yeah it's wow <laughs> so you so you were doing puppetry and it's funny cuz i remember now that you mentioned that <clears throat> i had totally forgotten my church had a puppet program mm -hmm. because i guess i mean this was in the 80s for you but 70s/80s cuz mm -hmm. you're younger than me but just that time period it was yeah, a, a, a big, a bigger thing than it is now. It seems like. Well, I mean, it's because we had a youth group did puppet shows. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it still exists. Um, you know, just the way that we uh, consume information and just entertaining kids. You know, yeah, uh, everything is just amped up. Right. So, but I will say that like the there were churches that had just ginormous theatrical productions. Yeah. With puppets that were just out of control months of choreography and, uh -huh. and stage lighting and all that kind of stuff like real deal stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it all it should got real should got real real yeah <laughs> so i mean i guess that answers the question then you you you've been doing this your whole life then yeah yeah i mean it's pretty much a Got to stick with it at this point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and got nothing better to do. Well, and then you eventually got into film work, and, yeah, and this is right. the the least interesting part <laughs> of your narrative at this point. Whereas most people would be like, "Oh, very cool, like production yeah. designer and art mm -hmm. director." But you were that—that's a, a bill-paying gig, or was I guess? Yeah, you no, still I mean, do some I, of that I still do. I, you know, I. I'm the type of person that I, I say I have creative ADD. So, uh -huh. like, whenever I'm doing one thing, I'm always like, "Oh, I want to do that other thing too." So, I've always liked to build and, and to work with my hand and I'm, right. a, I'm a good problem solver and that kind of stuff um so when i and i always knew that i wanted to work in film well not uh -huh. always but I, I wanted to do work in entertainment in some form or another right um you didn't want to yeah. work in an office well i think i did until i realized that other people actually made a living as an entertainer because uh -huh. like my parents even though we were performing and entertaining uh ministering excuse me um we didn't <laughs> my parents were didn't consider themselves artists. Nobody, I didn't know any artists. Right. Um, but I, they were, which is yeah, kind yeah, of the funny part. Right. And I remember some girl in like our homeschool group mentioned, we were all talking about what we wanted to do. And she was like, oh, I want to be a, a painter. And I just, it blew my mind. I was like, wait, what? Like that, that as a, be job, a job, that's a thing yeah. people do? Yeah. So uh, it wasn't until I moved out to Atlanta and I got involved in the Center for Puppetry Arts, which right. is a, an amazing uh, theater and museum here in Atlanta. Uh -huh. Um it's the largest poetry theater in, in the country, one of the largest in the world, and it has a ginormous Jim Henson exhibit right now. I went a few, about yeah. uh, six weeks ago. Yeah, including a bunch of labyrinth puppets, which will. Yeah. Um, so I started working there, and that's when I started getting involved in the theater scene. I was like, oh, wait, people are actually making a living right. using air quotes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in high school, you yeah, started over school. there? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and was it just serendipity that your parents moved to Atlanta, or did it have anything to do with the... Center I think it was arts. it was a part of a bargaining chip. I think it was. I don't think it was like directly. Like we lived a very modest life in mm -hmm. L.A. You know, 
Um, and then just by the nature of cost of living, when they moved to Georgia, it like skyrocketed in what we were able to afford and do. Right. And my dad, you know, was working UPS and doing other odd jobs and stuff. That's and the like, only good thing about moving to Union City from Santa Monica. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? They moved to a house that was like three times the size of the yeah. ones that we grew up in. And uh-huh. they and bought a Lexus and stuff like that. Right. With, uh, <laughs> church money and stuff. And, uh, and so I think it was more so like, okay we can do this thing that we've always wanted to do and maybe they'll shut up a little bit more if they can hang out at the puppet center. Right. <laughs> or at least they can justify their conscience. That's great. I mean, we're so lucky to have that here yeah, in Atlanta. Absolutely. And I grew up going there with, uh, on school trips and stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, as a, as a dumb little kid who wasn't into that, I, it was just a field trip to me. Yeah, sure. But now that I'm an adult and I go and I take my daughter, you know, for the first time, it's, uh, and, and they've redone it. And when, when did they do that a few years ago, Yeah, it's been like two or three years yeah, it's just amazing now. Yeah. And just such a, like, great facility. And, they, and the, the, the show we saw was amazing. They do. They spend millions of dollars on production every year. Wow. Yeah. They're one of the largest theaters in Atlanta, period, uh-huh. puppetry or not. They're one of the highest paying uh, theaters uh, for performers oh, in wow, Atlanta. That's great. Yeah, like, you can make a living um, as a puppeteer there, as a performer there. You that's know? great. And it's great because you do your shows in the, during the day and then you have time at, at night. Um, and then they also have a great adult program as well for, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, just adult theater and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, so I started doing, working at the center and uh, then I was working around, I was casting the show uh-huh. and I was thinking I was going to be a theater major and then I looked around and all of my cast rates had like, Castmates had like master's degrees in theater and I was right. like starting college and I was like, well, maybe since I'm already doing the thing that I want to do with theater. Try Screw something else. school. Yeah. So I started, uh, I went to film, I went to Georgia State and got uh, just a film degree. Film degree. Nice. Um, what about your brother? Was was he getting into it as well? or He he stayed in the church longer than I did. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a little, he was a holdout. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you almost say hostage? No. <laughs> Dude, I this is not a this is not a podcast about post church therapy sessions, but oh, we could well, deep dive. You, yeah, you and we I could, could deep dive. Yeah, we should have our own sideshow. Uh no, but he was there for a while and was like a youth pastor for a while, but then he got out, uh, thankfully. And now he's actually the marketing director at Dad's Garage, which is oh, cool. uh, an awesome yeah. um, local improv theater. One of the largest improv theaters in uh, Atlanta and most prestigious. That's great. So he still had that creative yeah. juice. Yeah, yeah. And he's in the ensemble now, and um, he's actually producing his first uh, stage play there. Awesome. Uh, it's the Diary of a Black Nerd. It's uh, <laughs> fun. And, did he write it? Or yeah, he... he wrote right in producing Oh, that's it. great. And uh, he also wrote another play, uh, Wrath of Khan, which is about um, Dragon Khan. Oh, cool. Um, which is another uh, nerd con out here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so yeah, he's doing he's doing fine. Are um, your folks in Georgia still? They're in. A, uh, they actually, ironically enough, moved moved back to L.A. Oh. Um, to work for the church that we grew up in. Actually, so um, they're there now. Yeah, they are. Well, let's get into the uh, the hints and stuff yeah. because um, we work together. Well, uh, people should know really quickly. The Center for Puppetry Arts is also where we had the Stuff You Should Know premiere right. party mm-hmm. and and viewing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I hadn't been there in so many years when I went. <laughs> And that's what kind of returned me on, if that's a thing that people say, <laughs> uh, turned me on to it again uh, was seeing um, Emmett Otter in person yeah. because that was my jam when I was a kid. Yeah. Obviously, the Muppet <clears throat> show and the <throat> Muppet movie, but Emmett Otter was just and still holds such a like really, really special place in my heart. Right, right. You know, um, so I saw the, the Emmett Otter and Ma 
there in person that night. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it kind of, like, moved yeah. me. I was like, oh, I'm going to start coming here again. Yeah. And then when we got our daughter, of course, it's a it's a great place to, you know, buy the membership. And Absolutely. Just spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After Stuff You Should Know, right. you were the production designer for us. Mm-hmm. And then not too long after, you got the phone call? Is that how it works? <laughs> There's just the bat, co- uh, bat phone. <laughs> that, um, it's a fuzzy green Yeah, exactly. Uh, every puppeteer has one installed into their house. <laughs> uh, no, so like, uh, just, I, I mean, just recap, I, I kind of went from the center, did a bunch of shows there, and uh-huh. then um, I worked on this show called Lazy Town. Um, which was for Nick Jr. Um, as a puppeteer. And that took me to Iceland, actually. Um, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, I worked, uh, spent a year in Iceland working on that show. And um, it was several years ago, so some people might remember it, but it's a sports superhero thing. Uh-huh. Um, and then I came back into town and then I went on tour for a while with a show called Walking with Dinosaurs, which is right. life-size animatronic yeah. dinosaurs. We played arenas at the the height of it, we were the uh, third largest touring show in the world. Really? Yes, yeah, so it was like Spring Sting, U2, and us. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we traveled with um, 
25 semi-trucks and like 75 people um, playing like... Just all over the world? Uh, North America was okay. our tour. So they've been to the world, over the world since. But um, so we did Canada, Mexico and uh, the States. Um, and we played like Madison Square Garden and like Staples Center and Man, everywhere. that is so cool. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then... I started my own production company out here and do a bunch of commercials and um, Ninja Puppet, Ninja Puppet Productions. That's right. Um, and doing pilot, lots of lots and lots of pilots. Yeah, <laughs> so many pilots. Um, and then uh, started working on uh, built a bunch of stuff for the Georgia Aquarium, and we we got a good run of like. Weird clients too, uh -huh. where like Dropbox, we did some puppet stuff for Dropbox. Really? And yeah, we had this whole. It was great. We did this whole like recruitment video where they recorded their staff, uh -huh. like why they worked, loved working at Dropbox, and we built puppets of their staff. And then we flew out to San Francisco and then shot around their offices as puppets. Wow! Like, lip syncing to their voiceovers. I guess that's the funny thing with puppets. Like you never yeah. know who's going to call. Yeah. And say, well, we thought we'd try this thing. Yeah. We did some stuff with Mailchimp, who's uh -huh. your, your friends here. Um, and then I, uh, I went to Henson every now and again, they kind of recruit oftentimes out of workshops mm -hmm. where they'll have an invite only workshop and they'll go through a couple, couple of weeks or however much time and they'll teach you, teach you their right. way of doing things. But um, they're, what they really do is it's kind of a little farm league or yeah, something. Yeah, they always say, this is not an audition. This is not an audition. <laughs> By the way, this is not an audition. But everyone's <laughs> thinking, oh my God, it's the audition. <laughs> and then it turns into an audition. Yeah, exactly. Like, this, like, and then the reality is it wasn't an audition. Uh -huh. the, but soon after there, I did have an audition. Um, so, I, yeah, there was like 300 people that applied to it. And then me and a couple other people got in and uh, spent a couple of weeks in L.A. training with them. And they were mostly interested in like, the improv aspect of it too, because they have uh -huh. a, they have a puppet improv team actually, wow. puppet up, uh, which is a lot of fun, um, and it's cool, really cool, because they do improv and then they also do um, sketches from like Jim Henson's old TV spots. Like, oh wow, stuff he used to do on the Ed Sullivan Show and stuff like that. They recreate. So you're working lines. a lot of muscles there, um, because not only does your game have to be on as a puppeteer, but then you're improving, mm -hmm. so you got to have your shit. Yeah. Down. Yeah. As a, as a comedian. Right. Well, because that's what, I mean, Puppet Up started because Brian Henson, Jim's oldest son, mm -hmm. felt like the Muppets were losing the, like, improvisational aspect of it. Right. Of the original show that, like, Jim and Frank Oz used to do. Right. Um, and so he wanted to, like, get some, like, night, some cool Hollywood improv people to get, mm -hmm. come in and, like, bust it out. And so that's what they did. And, and, the, and then they created this whole program. And they'd had a Vegas show for a while. And tours they still tour um i'm still on the roster i don't know uh, i'm waiting that's the other call i'm waiting for at any moment oh really <laughs> to get called up to the bigs yeah um <laughs> i think i've heard of that that yeah, sounds really familiar it's great it's a great show um you can see they had a show on tbs for a while too uh -huh. um and then uh i they wanted me to read for audition for a role for their new show which is uh called splashing bubbles uh -huh. which is on pbs right now um, and it's a oceanography show. Oh, cool. Um, and it uses their, um, HDPS system, which is Henson digital puppetry system. All right. Explain it's, that. Yeah. Okay. So they basically use the animatronic interfaces, some of which they developed on the labyrinth, mm -hmm. um, except instead of using, um, animatronics, it, uh, articulates, uh, CG characters. Okay. 
So I have my hand inside of what looks like a mouth plate of a traditional puppet, like a mm -hmm. hand, hand and Muppet style puppet, and then it has sensors all over it. My hand, my forearm is kind of jigged to a gyroscope where I can move it up and down and all around and whatever. That's bad. And my fingertips have little uh, controllers around them too, so I can articulate different fingertips uh -huh. and as well as my thumb. Um, and then on my left hand, I have a joystick with a series of toggles on it for each individual finger. And then the thumb um, cup that goes over my thumb that basically rotates uh, independently. And then I can twist it and I can push it forward, left, right, uh -huh. forward, backwards. And then a series of foot pedals. And all of that that I just explained to you yeah. is just to operate the face of the puppet. Wow. So my left hand my is all just the upper, the eyebrows uh -huh. and the um, blinks and all that kind of stuff. And like animatronics, you have little motors in the cheeks or in the in the lips or yeah you, and those all work in concert together to make uh -huh. a smile right you know, these different points of actuation and so you can you have digital points of actuation on the cg character and so when i move my hand and i move my fingertips i am able to manipulate the lips moving and the and the the pursing of the lips and the tongue moving and all that stuff holy shit to articulate um movement and then we do this, so there's a bank of these things, usually four or six um, of these programs, and mm -hmm. I'm looking into a monitor, two monitors, one right. with my character's face on it, and then another one with a digital feed of what the cameras are seeing. And then on the floor in front of me, there's like a, about a 500 square foot uh, padded floor that has sensors all around it, mm -hmm. and because we're fish, this was a fish puppet show, there are people on the floor that have basically rod puppets. They mm -hmm. look like fish with a rod sticking out of it. Yeah. And they hold it almost like a gun and they have like little toggles on the fish's body uh -huh. that moves the fins and, and different <laughs> oh, things in the body. And we work in concert together to basically make a uh, digital show. Wow. And the benefit of this is, if anybody knows anything about animation, we were pumping out a 15-minute episode every day. Yeah, which is nuts. <clears throat> yeah. Like, and it was... We, there was some rendering after that, but like they were cutting it live. Uh -huh. It was like three, um, three cameras, so they were just switching back and forth like a live program. What's uh, the learning curve like on a system like that for you? Uh, it was intense. <laughs> I mean, is it weeks or months or? It was, I had about a week and a half. Um, when, when, once you got your hands in there, did you? Was it a familiar thing, or was it like, man, I gotta like start from scratch, brain wise? You know, it's one of those things where like. If you learn to throw, I'm not a sports ball guy, but I've heard. <laughs> if you're trying to learn to throw a curveball, that's a thing, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> and you're just like a natural, like, oh, I've played baseball and I know how to throw a ball. Uh -huh. And you're like really good at that thing. And then they're like, okay, let me teach you how to throw a curveball. And then your brain resets uh -huh. and you can't throw again for a while. Right. It's kind of like that where you have to like, it's built by performers, for performers. Uh -huh. This is the same system that they use on that show Dinosaurs mm -hmm. and Ninja Turtles back in the 90s. Right. Um, so it's almost the same thing, except you have to uh, just reset your brain a little bit. Like, I could get into the, the details. You could, it, A lot of this stuff is online, so I encourage mm -hmm. everybody to, like, actually deep dive into the HDPS system and some of it's on my website and whatever. Um, I'm see, sure there'll be some Googling going yeah, on. Yeah, definitely Google it because it's a beautiful synthesis of, it's it's designed for performers. Right. So it takes a second to like get your brain into it, mm -hmm. but it is for performers. Right. Which is, and that is so cool. The best thing about working about with Henson is that they 
they are all it's all in service to the performance and to the character everything. right while being on the leading edge i'm sure of kind of everything yeah puppets yeah puppets and also just like entertainment they a lot of the stuff that they do right now is animation mm-hmm. they have an, an animation studio um are they still there on la brea mm-hmm. what was it like for you walking in that joint for the first time so the jim henson company they own the lot uh, one of Charlie Chaplin's yeah. lots that's celebrating its like hundredth year anniversary, and you see like Charlie Pratt Chaplin's footprints and uh-huh. little signature in the concrete. Oh, I remember! Like for those of you who have ever seen it in LA, you know what I'm talking about. But if you've not been and you visit LA, I encourage you to go at least drive by. Like yeah. Kermit literally looms as large over the entrance, and mm-hmm. uh, right there in the middle of Hollywood, dressed as Charlie Chaplin, dressed as Charlie Chaplin, and it really just like evokes magic. Yeah. Uh, just just driving by and looking at it. And this is also the old A&M building where they, like, recorded everything. Re- we Are the World was recorded That's there. That's right. I think I knew that. Like, and it's still a functioning studio. So Sound like, studio? Uh-huh. Yeah. In between breaks, there was, like, Justin Timberlake would be there and Paul <laughs> McCartney. And, wow. Yeah, everybody was there. And, like, where we would record our songs was in that recording studio. So, uh, holy cow. Yeah. So I imagine you, you go in there as a, a guy who's been doing puppet, uh, work his whole life. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing bigger, right? Than Henson. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I, it depends on what you consider big, but yes, <laughs> like I think that it's the most prestigious, I would yeah, say right. the most prestigious and, and consistently prestigious and, and respected and and everything else it's like it's what you want to do right you know? yeah um and so yeah it was a it was a mind job it was a, an amazing experience and um we did a, a full season and uh everybody wants to do a second season so hopefully we'll be oh, back cool. and what uh what's it on it's on pbs nice yeah and, and netflix pbs netflix uh, all the platforms but it's consistently new episodes are still coming out um mm-hmm. on pbs and uh Netflix as well. So once you're in in there, though, um, are are you like, is it likely that they'll just call you for other stuff now? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, <laughs> I guess you'd have to talk to them more than anything else. <laughs> but they do use, I mean, they've invested a certain amount of um, time and effort into you as a performer. Right. So uh, they they like to, you know, it's not the type of thing where you can just get somebody off the street to do this. Sure. Um, and there are a handful of people. I mean, there's a lot of people. Let's not... Let's be, there's always way more people wanting to do the thing that you want to do than yeah. you think. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> it's like, true. I'm going to be a professional juggler. How hard can it be? And then there's like 150 people trying to do right. the same job. So, yeah. Um, yes, there are. And I have I, I do voices that are, um, you know, I, I have a, a range of voices that I like to do. Mm-hmm. My character is um, Dunk the Pufferfish. Uh-huh. Uh, which was he's usually the comic relief, but then I have another character that is a stingray that's m- much deeper vocal range, uh-huh. so I, I can go pretty broad in that way. Can, uh, can you give us a sample? Yeah. So Dunk the Pufferfish talks like this. Uh huh. Welcome to Reef Town, which is where we live. Yeah. And what and about the other guy? Mayor Sting is more like this. He's a little bit of Duff Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So you've like uh. Like I said about working a lot of muscles, I mean, mm-hmm. I think people, I'm, I'm glad you're on because I don't think people understand the the breadth of the talent of a puppeteer because there are so many things have to be on point from vocalization yeah. to movement. It's like really pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's all, you know, uh, 
focused on making a character come to life and having a connection with the audience mm-hmm. that is going to resonate and stand the test of time, you know? Yeah. And and for you, like, as far as, like, when I went to the puppetry art show, you know, we walked my daughter around, showed her all the stuff, uh, like the great exhibit right now, the mm-hmm. hints and stuff that's there. And then we went to the show, mm-hmm. which was amazing, and the first, like, legit puppet show I've been to since I was a kid. <laughs> and the joy of, as a parent, to, you know, look over at your, like, you're looking at your kid half the time because yeah. you want to just see them delight in that. Yeah, sure. But, like, for you, like, you don't have kids. No. What, how does that figure in? Like, I'm sure bringing that joy to children is a big part of it, though, right? You know, it's funny. I've, all, I've worked in children's entertainment most of my life, all of my life. And, I've and I all, hate children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand them. Uh, no, but it's, it's so much more of a selfish thing for me. Really? Like, it's I, just about the, the art of it. I, uh, puppetry is live action cartoons. Mm-hmm. You can do anything on stage or on screen that is just absurd and your in your imagination can run yeah. wild and all that stuff. So there's a lot of nostalgia that is attached to puppetry, but mm-hmm. it's never really been nostalgic for me because it's just been a way of expression. Right. I grew up as a very uh, shy and timid kid. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, and I always say puppetry is theater for the timid. Oh, you know, I, I always wanted to express myself. I had a creative bone. Like we did like stupid VHS videos right. and, ourselves and all kinds of stuff, but I never had the courage to actually be in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, and that's why I really gravitated towards puppetry is because I could, I guess it kind of makes sense. You throw yeah. in that black turtleneck and hide behind that curtain. Seriously. Even if you're in front of the stage, just having something that is like, that one step removed from mm-hmm. the audience to you yeah. makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So that's very cool. You'd be a good dad, Raymond. <laughs> I, I don't want to like, uh, thanks mom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, is that, I'm, I'm sure you're getting that. <laughs> it's huh? like, it's like, where, yeah. <laughs> what about um, movies in general growing up? Like, was that a big, big thing in your household? Well, not, not like particularly my brother and I, it's funny. We I'm, I've been digitizing all these old uh, VHS tapes, oh, and cool. um, recently, and my brother and I used to take our favorite clips and music videos from movies that we would rent uh-huh. and then record them onto one singular VHS tape. Yeah, it was this is like YouTube. a montage. Uh-huh. Yeah, our own personal YouTube that we would just play on nauseum. And so, uh, yeah, we lo- maybe it's just because we had a uh, had a lot of imagination, and a lot of time to kill. Like we would, we loved movies, and we would geek out about movies um but we didn't grow up in a, a movie house like my dad liked action movies or whatever and uh-huh. because we were so religious <laughs> i'm sure you experienced too it was like fairly limited uh, yeah range. well yes and no like no sex bad language is n- bad but like violence sure i know man uh, <laughs> usa baby <laughs> yeah so like i loved ja- uh, action movies and, yeah. and adventure movies and you know, growing up in the 80s, I was a total kid of that era mm-hmm. of just, you know, traveling to space and like yeah. space camp and Flight of the Navigator and oh, space and camp. I love that. Last movie. Starfighter and uh-huh. like all that stuff, man. Yeah. Um, I think Flight of the Navigator is probably, and, and, and that's kind of how I like gravitated towards puppetry to a certain extent because mm-hmm. I loved, you know, hints and stuff but no more than any normal kid who grew up yeah. watching sesame street yeah and we all the Muppets it. and all that stuff like yeah uh so what really attracted to me was the sci-fi creature stuff mm-hmm. that's always been 
that was the first thing that like made me realize that this is something that I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, I want to do that. And I don't know what that is, but right. I want to make creatures. And I wasn't even like into scary stuff. Like, uh-huh. I, ironically enough, like Child's Play was the scariest thing. <laughs> like anytime they made a sequel and a trailer would come on TV every couple of years, yeah. I would just be like, nope, yeah. open my eyes and just having nightmares during the course of the run of those trailers coming through television. Did you see Ready Player One yet? I did. That was I, a pretty great moment with yeah. Chucky. Actually. And I didn't watch any of the Chucky movies, but that, that one got me in the theater. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm really not a nostalgia guy. Like I, even though I work in like nostalgic, Central. Central yeah. concepts, but, like, uh, I just like the things that they did, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and even as a, you know, I make movies as well, sci-fi movies and creature movies. Right. Um, and because I have a production and design background and a puppetry background, mm-hmm. I can build miniatures yeah. and creatures and stuff like that for my own stuff. So cool, man. Uh, but it's less about, like, I'm doing it practical because that's the only way to do it. Right. It's more so I'm doing it practically because, A, I can do it, uh-huh. and B, um, I do, I, I I like creating these worlds with my hands. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, for, for puppetry, is, is building the puppet, like, half of the joy of it all? Like, literally constructing it? Uh, no, so... <laughs> I'm not nearly as good as a puppet builder as other people that we that I know. Oh, really? So I will build puppets, mm-hmm. but I I come in when with my company, like we'll get a job, and um, I will assess the situation. I'll make a bid. Mm-hmm. I will R and D the situation. And most people come to me and have no idea how to do a thing with puppets. Right. And so I will see what they want to do and then make suggestions. I know enough about production and puppets and, mm-hmm. and production design to know how to tackle this giant chicken destroying a city that you want to have for your <laughs> commercial. Yeah. You know? I imagine and, production design is a good, uh, right. even just budgeting stuff. Yeah, I mean, exactly. the nuts and bolts of it. Exactly. So I will come in from there and then I'll come up with a bunch of designs or hire another designer that needs to, if it needs to be more specific. Yeah. And then from there we will, um, then I'll hire out the people. It's like, okay, this thing is, you know, uh, fabric heavy, heavy. Mm-hmm. So I need a good puppet builder that works with fabrics. This one right. is a creature thing. So I need silicone-based sculptor, that kind of stuff. So you've got your roster of, yeah, exactly. of specialties almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, one of the things that struck me, and we might as well go ahead and get into yeah. Labyrinth because that's where it sort of segues here is when I was watching it and I don't. I don't like. I had never seen Labyrinth. Really, <laughs> I watched it this morning. Um, no, I mean it came out in '86, so I was 15, so I might have been just a little too old in that right. m- shitty mid-teenager thing yeah, yeah. setting in. And it's Bowie, and it's like pop, and like whatever. Yeah. So uh, I don't think I'd ever seen it, but but watching it, like it really, it ages well. Mm-hmm. Or it ages better than the CG, or not CG, but the special effects movies from that time. Yeah. Because it, it really hit me today that, and it made me think of going to the Center for Puppetry Arts and seeing Big Bird and like feeling like a fucking five-year-old again. Yeah. It's because it's a thing that moves through space in three dimensions. Right, yeah. It's not... It it can't age. Right. <laughs> it's not like, oh, Big Bird. He's like, it's sort of dated looking. Right, yeah. No, it's Big Bird. He's yeah. the same then as he is now. When you see it in person, especially like on a display, and it's so huge and like colorful and like it looks amazing, looks brand new. Yeah. You're, tr- you're not trying to trick anybody. Yeah. Like, you're, the, the thing about 
what a lot of CG does is it's trying to make a photorealistic version of a thing that you think that it might look like. Yeah, Even simulation. if the thing doesn't actually exist, it's a monster, uh-huh. that, and it moves, and they're trying to get the movement and the lighting and, and the texture so accurate yeah. to what a, you think a monster light might look like. Right. But that wasn't the goal of the creature design in the labyrinth stuff. Right. It was creature fantasy um, things. And, you know, and Jim, the, the thing that I love about Jim Henson and, like, I'm a Jim Henson fan because of the man, not necessarily because yeah. of all the quirky characters that he created. Like, I'm a fan of his business acumen. I'm a mm. fan of him. I just as an artist. Like, he became one of the most famous people in the world. Mm-hmm. And at, the, at his heart was still just, like, a pure artist. Yeah. That was, like, perfect synthesis of, like, being a shrewd businessman, yeah. an artist, and not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did an epi- a Stuff You Should Know episode. Well, we did one on the Muppets and one on Henson specifically. Mm-hmm. And he was just a good person. Yeah. You know? It threw out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. If you, I was thinking, I always want to, like, see a movie about him, but there would be very but little. But do you? Well, I kind of do. I kind of do. I, I always oh, think, you would be so. I, would I always think it that it would be like, okay, it would be cool if, but, you know. But the problem is, like, the central conflict, there's not, like, he didn't have, it wasn't yeah. a Steve Jobs thing where he was having these outbursts. And I like, know. It's hard to make a movie without a, a it's not well, to say he wasn't complex, but he yeah. was a pretty pure-hearted guy. Well, I will say, though, the, the, big, the big thing, um, if there is, like, essential conflict that would be moved in the movie would be the level of him trying mm-hmm. and failing. Right. Because the labyrinth was not a success. Yeah, and that would probably be the story. And neither was a dark crystal. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you, uh, uh, just as, like, a little backstory within this, like, the dark, uh, Jim Henson was doing The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people really can understand how big the Muppet Show was at the time. It was huge. It, like this is back when you still had like very few television uh-huh. uh, networks screening things. So yeah. like to have a big show mm-hmm. back then meant that everybody was watching it. Yeah, it was appointment television. Yeah, and like not just like everybody, but around the world. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of shows didn't always translate um, internationally. This was everywhere. Yeah, um, and he stopped it. Like, he decided to not do it anymore yeah. after, like, five seasons, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because he w- felt stagnant as an artist. And that is something that artists do is they push themselves for the next thing, you know? Right. And the next thing he wanted to do was this thing called the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of worked a little ass backwards trying to get the design work and then, like, build. he built out the world. Mm-hmm. And then he started to incorporate the story in the world. Right. Um, and then that was essentially, it did okay. It was also just a ginormous, expensive movie yeah. that like it, no people in it. It's mm-hmm. the f- first, I believe the first theatrical, like all puppet movie. Yeah. Cause Muppet, uh, the Muppet show, the Muppet movie labyrinth. I mean, they all had, uh, humans right. interacting. Right. And it was, you know, it was dark. It was, you know, fantasy and Jim said, like he would say that like, it's a good thing to scare kids. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a part. It's a good part of their life. So he wasn't pulling punches on it. You know, yeah. it wasn't grotesque or whatever thing. Anything. It was dark though. It was for kids, but it was also scary. Uh-huh. Um, and it didn't do as well as he'd wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Didn't just like by any by any you know metric, it just didn't do well. Yeah. Um, even though it's a cult classic now, um, and they're also re- making a television series on it right now. Oh, really? Currently shooting of Dark Crystal of the Dark Crystal. Oh, on, I don't think I knew that on Netflix. 
And it's all puppets? It's uh, all puppets. Wow. I'm sure there'll be some CG elements to it, yeah. but uh, it, they're shooting it in London right now. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. A lot so of, Labyrinth followed Dark right. Crystal. So the um, Brian Froud was a designer on that. Um, yes. And so if you see like that look of the Labyrinth of the Dark Crystal, and I'll, honestly, like what we think of as creature fantasy aesthetic is like a lot of it is born from Brad, Brian Froud's designs. And is that his son as the baby? Toby Froud is okay. his son. Yes. <laughs> who's also a, a, as Toby. Yeah. Um, he's also a de- production a de- designer and works is working on the current Dark Crystal. Oh, so he uh, stayed in the business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, I imagine it's pretty cool for him also to see David Bowie uh, <laughs> sitting on David Bowie's lap. <laughs> I, he has a different relationship to his whole thing because he's been Toby the baby his whole life. So, yeah, uh, gotcha. A little bit like Ralphie in A Christmas Story. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's not. He, 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 he's super cool. He doesn't like this, the begrudge it by any means. Does like, so you know him? Yeah, I, I'm not super well. We've right. met a couple times. We, um, I made a film for Heather Henson, Jim's mm-hmm. youngest daughter. She has a company called Handmade Puppet Dreams. Mm-hmm. Just a great uh, organization that everybody should check out. And she, they specialize in puppet films that are non-Muppet style, that mm-hmm. are just uh, more avant-garde and out there. And she um, commissions films every year or so um, and gives a great deal of money to the artists to produce these short films. Oh, that's great. And so I produce, she commissioned me to make a, a short film um, based on the thing that I was designing. And then, Can you see it online? Yeah. Plug uh, it. Actually, you could... Uh, it's on filmstruck.com, okay. which is has a bunch of other hints and stuff. It's about to leave Filmstruck, but then it'll go on to some other um, distribution. What's it called? Company. Handmade Puppet Dreams is the company. Okay. My film is called Hitori, um, and it's uh, it means Japanese for alone. Mm-hmm. So it's, H-I-T-O-R-I. Uh-huh. And it's about uh, one puppet that's controlled by thousands of puppeteers. So it's all these puppeteers that make up the mountains and the sea and everything just all meshed together. Uh-huh. All these hands controlling this one puppet that's uh-huh. white. That sounds awesome. Um, which was actually loosely inspired by the helping hand sequence in the labyrinth. All um, right. Yeah. So, uh, which we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, uh, Toby's cool. Um, so anyway, Brian, did you and, did you know that he had a thing when you pinched his cheeks when you first met him and then he got pissed <laughs> off? <laughs> I uh, anyway, Gucci Gucci Koo. <laughs> I said, "You're the baby." You You're like, I don't up. know. I think he had a thing about that. It's like you grew up. That's so weird. <laughs> I was just watching you as a baby. Um, All right, so his dad designed. Yeah, so Brian and, and like the way the story goes is that like. Brian, uh, Jim and Brian Froud were like in the limousine after the premiere of the Dark Crystal and just kind of like talking about it. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't as everything we mm-hmm. wanted it to be. And then they just started like throwing out ideas in the limousine of uh, the, from their premiere. And just, after the premiere yeah. of their movie. Wow. That's like, that's how Jim was always just like going. Yeah. And so that's why, honestly, because um dark crystal didn't do as well they okay we got to get back to our roots which is like you know human and people like uh a little bit of comedy a little bit of like nonsensical some music yeah music and so that's why how the uh, labyrinth kind of started to get gotcha yeah uh and i think he considered other musicians for the role before (laughs) bowie like i heard of mick jagger michael jackson as well oh interesting yeah but you can kind of see it from the whiz yeah. You kind of think about that and be like. Well, and his, uh, just his whole sense, childlike sense, like, that makes a little more sense, definitely more so than Mick Jagger. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but also, Bowie, like, 
There is none other. Like there, there could have not been anyone else. Also, that Michael Jackson that. stealing a baby might have been problematic. Yeah, years later. <laughs> so let's be glad that that didn't. Hey, oh, uh, <laughs> the other thing that kind of struck me today was looking at just the the production credits of this thing and the writing credits. Like this is a a, a melding of George Lucas, Jim mm-hmm. Henson, and Monty Python. Yeah, uh, because originally written by Terry Jones. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people worked on the script afterward. Uh, including the great Elaine May, but Terry Jones got the screenwriting credit, right? Uh, and it and it very much when you watch it, you you feel a little bit of that every now and then of that sort of Python esque yeah. humor, yeah, definitely. So it comes through. Well, you know, and it's also funny just because of the way that comedy, those two uh, amalgamations of comedy, which is like very physical, sight gaggy, mm-hmm. kind of like you know um slapsticky at times yeah. all that kind of stuff especially with the goblins and the other creatures yeah like it's great they're just throwing them around uh-huh. and there's like a ch- in the dance magic dance sequence there's like chickens yeah like they're just throwing chickens in the air <laughs> i feel like th- th- henson had a chicken thing there are chickens in a lot of his work because chickens are fucking funny yeah <laughs> it's true like there's all these stories about like especially in the battle sequence where there's just chaos and yeah they would just get like They'd be like, oh, this isn't crazy enough. And they would go down to the store and get a bunch of wind-up toys and glue fur to it and just have them go really? in the background. Well, that's when this movie uh, comes alive the most, I think, is when it's crowded. Yeah. And when the frame is crowded. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, like, the battle scenes yeah. or um, the very end when she has her little bedroom party. Yeah. When, which is, we'll get to that, very okay. sweet ending. <laughs> but when there's a lot going on is when it's really um, comes alive the most, I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and when you see it, you're and you realize like, wait a minute, these this is not CGI. Yeah. Like how do you pull that shit off and choreograph that? It's just so uh impressive. Um well, you know, going back to the beginning, there is CGI in the film. Is there? There's early CGI. The owl. The owl. All right, I was gonna ask you uh-huh. about that because the owl flies in the window. Uh-huh. I mean, I assume most people have seen this. The setup of the film, to me, which is sort of the one of the beauty, beautiful aspects, is this very simple premise. Uh-huh. Uh, Jennifer, a uh, little doe-faced, adorable young yeah. Jennifer Connelly. I think that's probably why I like the movie initially the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wow, she's so beautiful. Yeah, this is my my first crush. Yeah, so, yeah. I think first crush for a lot of people. Right. Um, actually, my first crush was Christy McNichol, uh, which I don't know what this is about me. <laughs> but um, she and also Scott Epolito's first crush, by the way, was Christy McNichol. We share a first crush. There you go. Uh, he says hi, by the way. I saw oh, him last Scotty. night. Um so the premise is this uh, this girl, you uh, learn just through a, a simple camera shot that her mother was a stage actress who I guess had passed away. Father's a widower, marries a woman who is, um, you know, they sort of set her up as the evil stepmom. Right. Even though she probably really not that bad. Yeah. Um, but the Henson version of an evil stepmom. Right, exactly. And she has a baby brother. Um, she's probably 15 or 16 in the movie and a little baby brother that she wishes the goblins would take this brother away. Right. And they do. And then very simply, now she is faced with the goblin king, David Bowie, and her goal is to make her way through the labyrinth so she can rescue the baby. Right. Find her way to the castle. Right. Um, but at the very beginning, this owl flies in the window. And one that was one of my first questions for you was like, what was that? So it looked real. Yeah, no, I mean, so there is a combination. So the beginning of it, where the owl is just flying through the credit sequence Mm -hmm. in the dark, that is a CG owl. Okay. And then one pretty good for the time. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, And then you only see it for a couple of seconds as it flaps through. Which is the key to CG is not to overdo it. Exactly. And then there's a sequence where it flies through the darkness and like 
into the window or into uh-huh. the real life, and then that's a real owl. Right. Because uh, then it's like flopping crazy and everything. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and they sort of get to the story really quickly. Like, Bowie floats in that window yeah. at like the eight-minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> and shout out to uh, uh, Michael Motion, M-O-S-C-H-E-N, who did all the uh, crystal ball juggling. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, if you – this is pretty well documented, too. You can see a lot of this on, online, but, like, his hands – were just going through David Bowie's uh, body. Like, yeah. he, he basically, David Bowie would keep his hands behind his back <laughs> and Michael Mosel would put his arms be, uh-huh. uh, in between it and yeah. then just, like, doing this juggling. It's essentially juggling, but, yeah, yeah, these crystal balls, like, floating on his hands, essentially. Yeah, which is uh, amazing. I yeah. mean, it looks, they pull it off. It's that old gag. Yeah. Instead of uh, clumsily feeding him a banana <laughs> and smashing it in his face, though, he's doing, like, this really great uh, juggling work. Right. So... You know, right from the beginning, uh, there's that little trick they play where you think it's a period piece mm-hmm. um, and like the English countryside. And then, you know, you realize it's modern times and she's pretty quickly thrown into this yeah. this other world, yeah. uh, into this labyrinth, this maze that – and that's the other thing is like it's, it's, a, it's a stage set yeah. and that it works better now than creating this big CG world because it feels like a big grand puppet show. It, you know, part of what makes it work is everyone's complete and total acceptance of the situation. Yeah. There's nobody in, needs to stop and be like, okay, how is David Bowie? Who is David Bowie? Why is he in this room? Like, right. where did you come from? What's your origin story? Like, uh-huh. all that exposition is just out the fucking window. It's, it's a like, fairy tale. Yeah, what you buy into it? Exactly. It's like, game on, let's go. Yeah. Like, um, and to completely buy into that. Then you're already automatically buying into this world because everybody's accepting it. Yeah, and also the momentum of the narrative carries that um, acceptance forward too, because mm-hmm. nobody's really stopping to ask questions, right? Other than how do I get to the center of the labyrinth, right? Um, and of course, she gets various help along the way. Uh, the main uh, character, I guess, is Hoggle. Hoggle, yeah. Um, who, who she? Um, I thought it was kind of cute. She, she. Didn't trick him because she was very upfront about her jewelry yeah. being made of plastic. She <laughs> offers him jewelry to help and said, what is it, plastic? And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, I guess in that world, plastic was yeah. like, wow, this is amazing. It's great. Um, who is also voiced by uh, Brian Henson. Right. Who yes. is a kid. I mean, like early the, 20s. Uh, yeah. This was the first production that he he was the puppet captain on it. So generally what you have is when you're working on a big puppet show, you'll have a series of puppeteers and then uh-huh. you'll have somebody who's the puppet captain. And that person is works as kind of a puppet director, liaison uh-huh. from them to production, just so they can help choreograph sequences beforehand mm-hmm. before you get on set and all that kind of stuff, especially if you're working in a puppet that requires multiple people. Right. And Hoggle required like four to five people really? to operate. So there was the super former inside of it. Uh-huh. There was a, a female little person. Right. And then there was uh, Brian who was doing some uh, early version of, so I meant to, forgot to say that the uh, HDPS system, uh-huh. we refer to those as Waldos. Okay. Um, and that's because the first character that used that was named Waldo. But it's essentially an uh, early Waldo, which is, it looks like a puppet on his hand that just has a series of wires on it. Mm-hmm. And then there are people next to him that are moving RC radio control controllers that yeah. are using the brows and the cheeks and the, and the blinks and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they all sit in a row looking at monitors and have to like choreograph wow. the movement of the facial features. And when you, when you work like that together in concert, uh-huh. 
walking with dinosaurs was a little bit like that because there was three puppeteers for each dinosaur. You get into this like symbiosis, yeah, like hive mind, hive mind situation. Yeah, so it's, it's a little easier than you would able. To, it does not every movement has to be choreographed. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that and, th- and that was one of the things where Brian talks about that. Um, and he like laments that that was like the first time that he was like working as a professional uh-huh. with his dad. Right, like they were on like equal playing fields, and that that's was pretty sweet. That he really liked so, and that's just one character. Like yeah. It's so impressive to realize that, what, five people on that one character? Uh, something like three or four. Three or four people. Yeah. And then there are, sh- are shots in this movie where yeah. there's, I feel like, 50 <laughs> different puppets going. But yes. Yeah. That's Amazing. Not, not an exaggeration. <laughs> Unbelievable. So uh, the movie progresses, you know, it's, um, like I said, a kind of a simple prospect of her making her way through this labyrinth and maze. And there are the obstacles and then there are the people that help mm-hmm. her from... Uh, the little worm, which is just so great in that one scene. Hello. Which is, is that just a tiny puppet? <laughs> so there was actually different sizes of the puppet, but it was, there was a really tiny version of that. Uh-huh. For certain uh, shots, I guess. For some shots. And then for close-ups, there was a slightly larger uh, gotcha. version of it. Um, and we actually, the shop that I uh, work at, uh, work out of, there's another another artist named Spencer Muir who built a giant parade style version of that. Really? For dark for the um Dragon Con a couple uh-huh. years back when it was the I think thirty fifth anniversary, thirtieth uh, anniversary of the Labyrinth. Uh and Karen Pearl who performed that original puppet mm-hmm. was in the parade too. Oh so, wow. Yeah, That's cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean people out there should know Raymond also does these um really humongous yeah. uh, parade puppets. Uh-huh. Um, the most impressive one I saw, of course, was the the spaceman. Right. Um, which was how tall was that thing? Spaceman was fifty feet tall, but he was on a, um, a bouncing arm, uh-huh. a metal arm jib that went to went into his back, and that was connected to a moving Land Rover. Yeah. And so he was able to jump about <laughs> twenty five feet in the air. And how many people was that uh, operating? It's usually about nine people operating that. Did you design that thing? Yeah. I, I it was a, it was a I I shouldn't say that I like wholly designed it was an astronaut like I I knew the idea I designed the mechanics of the basic premise and then we uh-huh. R and D the rest of it as a group and so um, unbelievable yeah you can see that online probably mm-hmm. yes on my website ninjapuppetproductions.com. yeah people like seriously go check this thing out <laughs> it's amazing and so much bigger than I think anyone expected it to be and it has lights coming out of its in, in its visor yeah and man. on the, the side it's of it so and smoke in it and its fingers move so it would like jump up and then come back down and like give people high fives where does that thing live it lives in my rafters right now of my shop really yeah so it can be taken out again and and it's used a little or... this was years ago so it's it's in semi retirement it would really? need to it would need to be have a little honestly i just rebuild the thing that's a problem is puppets don't really last as long as you would like them to. Because it is a real thing. It is a real thing. Three dimensions. In fact, a lot of the, um, one of our friends, Russ Vick, who was, oh, yeah. he was a collaborator and worked with us on stuff you should know a little mm-hmm. bit. He was in charge of restoring a lot of those hints and That's stuff. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. For uh, mo- uh, the Museum of Moving Image in New York, uh-huh. the Smithsonian and the Hint, um, Center for Puppetry Arts all have exhibits that were don- donated from uh, yeah. Henson. And he was in charge for, Basically, creating the museum style preservation techniques uh-huh. that you would have to use for puppets. Man. Which is just, a, he's a scientist, man. Well, and just what a nerve wracking yeah. experience, I bet, to be working. I mean, yeah. those, were those the original? Yeah, a lot of them were. Wow. And, and like, he would see, like, 
he found like packs of gum inside of some of them. Really? <laughs> like the big uh, beetle guys from um, the Dark Crystal, uh-huh. like packs of gum from inside of them, and like a hearing aid and like a, something Where, like, like that. Where like the dude inside was just chewing gum and like put the gum yeah. on a yeah whatever <laughs> the interior shoulder yeah, but he's like <laughs> miss he puts some of the stuff where he like missed uh vaporizes silicone and then like has it like fall on the puppets perfectly around it and stuff he's doing like science over there it's crazy holy shit that's yeah. amazing hey girlfriends it's me carol fisher i'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right, so back to Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, The musical bits... It's funny because now, you know, it's it's kind of that corny 80s yeah. stuff, but the addition of Bowie yeah. and that voice is what kind of, like, saves it, I think. Absolutely. For an audience today. Absolutely. like It's still David Bowie. Dance Magic is, like, it's probably one of my favorite Bowie songs, period. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and he's all in, man. Like, he should have kept that hair for his career. <laughs> it's so cool looking. Yeah. 
Uh, another one of my favorite, and actually this leads to my next question, which is your favorite puppet, but uh, the the truly frightening, like the little demon babies on the sticks. Yeah. That shit's scary looking, <laughs> you know? And that's the cool thing about, it, it is sort of the, the CGI of the day because they could, I feel like they could almost build whatever they could imagine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. There were, I mean, they they were really good about using the techniques at the day of the day to build to make these wish fulfillments, you know, to mm-hmm. be able to just make whatever they wanted uh, come to life. Yeah, if, especially if you look at like Brian Froud's designs mm-hmm. and see the puppets that they made. Like, and there's a there's a big coffee table book that came out that's really really great. Oh, cool! That you can go and it has like little posted notes of like designs and sketches and all this kind of stuff. I love that stuff, yeah. especially like at the the Henson Museum. Like yeah. when you see the handwritten notes yeah. and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So you can, all this information you can find uh, there, but like if you see the designs and you see the puppets, it was like, that's what they did. <laughs> what was your favorite puppet in this one? Um, so it's hard. Uh, so two things. There's my, my favorite like, holy shit moment is the, the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. the, the basically mech, warrior robot the door that became the creature right that's badass like that i remember watching that and like for years after and just being like i have no idea how they did that yeah and and i as somebody who works in production and you you know you know enough about movies to Uh where like you're like okay i can kind of figure out how they did that right especially nowadays with cg that's one thing i if I can get a little nostalgic, one thing that I miss is the fact that when you see something really cool on movies, uh-huh. there's never a, how did they do that? Yeah. It's always, they did that with computers. Right. Um, it's like Jaws. Like, people thought, or Alien, it was like, the question was, how did they do that? Right. And you don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, this was a, holy shit, how did they do that moment. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still not 100% sure how they did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the door, the gates come together, mm-hmm. the doors come together. And it kind of, you can't really tell what it is until it actually yeah. meets. And it's a giant mech warrior armor, suit of armor that's yeah. just swinging its axe. And it's the size, it's not like a, a forced perspective or anything. Right, it's huge. It's the size that it looks like on stage, yeah. on screen. And then... The, that was a very cool moment. The best part is there's a little creature underneath it, and he knocks off the head, and he's just like pulling toggles and switches and uh-huh. foot pedals. <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh, let me go, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing I see a lot of in uh, is the uh, not puppet within a puppet, although that that mm-hmm. is definitely the case there. But like the guy with the bird going out of his yeah. head, like just cool shit like that. Like the imagination can just really yeah. run wild, and they could they could build it right. as long as they could figure out how to operate it. And it was incorporated into the story. That's what's the yeah. one of the thing. The best things about it is like. There are some background characters, but all of the characters, for the most part, their aspects of their, what makes them cool creatures, mm-hmm. are integrated into the story. Yeah. Like the bird guy and this this monster and Bluto, and, and they do the things that they were designed to do. This creature was designed to do this yeah. thing to help f- fulfill the story. Right. Uh, which is great. Yeah, and uh, was it Bluto? Was that the, mm-hmm. the big guy? Of course, it's... It's sort of a wonderful thing to do in a kid's film to have the kind of the biggest, scariest guy right. be have the softest heart yeah. and be a, sort of a, a big teddy bear on the right. inside. 
Uh, the other thing I thought was really funny, just as an adult, is the bog of eternal stench, <laughs> which sounds like if you ask like a ten-year-old to name a yeah. metal album, right? <laughs> and then when you watch it, it's just a big farty lake. It's just a bunch of farts. Yep, <laughs> it's just a it's bunch like, of farts. Man, the day that farts aren't funny to me is the I know. day I. Yep, you're, I'm you're done. dead inside. I'm done. <laughs> uh, and the the little foxy guy yeah. riding the dog, right. looks amazing. Yeah, and it. In the one shot of the bog, it looks like a real dog. Is uh-huh. that the case? They switch between a, do- a real dog and um, a puppet dog. And it's all pretty seamless, though. Yeah. They did that a lot. There's quite a bit of that, um, of switching between animals. When they do have animals uh-huh. um, th- that look, that are supposed to be that type of animal, yeah, they do that pretty well. Yeah, which you can, I mean, they obviously smartly picked a, uh, like a big sheep dog, mm-hmm. which looks like a big puppet anyway. Right, yeah. So it's not like they probably couldn't have done that realistically with a... You know, a boxer. I mean, you could. It's not as uh, yeah. You could, man. They were doing all kinds of crazy shit. You can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess you're right. But at least the sheepdog, like the kind of the face is hidden, yeah. and there's just like a big mop of hair. I tell you what, the creature shop in and at Henson, a lot of what they do now is they do that animal stuff, uh-huh. like the big lion and uh, the Hangover. That, uh-huh. that was Henson. Really? Yeah. There's like that wasn't real. No, there, there was a, a, a tiger. Some real tiger. shots, yeah, yeah, tiger. There was a, there were some real shots, but when it was interacting with them, that was, that was a creature. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yeah, you know, Josh and I got um, approached by them mm. to do a stuff you should know uh, puppet thing. Oh, and this was, God, I wish I could remember the guy's name. I'm sure you know him. Uh, I can't remember. Um, this was like about four years ago. Mm. It was post stuff you should know TV show. Yeah, failure. <laughs> No, I'm not. It was a failure. People are like, did non- the show got canceled? I was like, no, it didn't get renewed. It's different than being canceled. The the non-success of yeah. it. Well, I was proud of what we all did. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I can't remember this guy's name, but we had a coffee with him. And I think the hang-up was, this was sort of post-stuff you should know TV. And I was like, man, I can't. Yeah. Like, you wanted me to move to L.A. for a little while right, or, tra- yeah. or be a travel thing. I was like, I, I can't do that, man. You know, i got to be around. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of fizzled from there. But I meant to tell you back then that we had been talking to those guys. Yeah. About well, some sort of, uh, no, don't say it's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too late. Well. <laughs> um, the fantasy ball sequence in yeah. Labyrinth after she takes, uh, LSD, the LSD peach. <laughs> she eats from the LSD peach. Um, that's where like Henson's creativity is like, it's just on full display with those masks. Yeah. Like usually when you see. A, a gown ball with a masked ball. Yeah. It's just sort of a very basic, like, the dramatic mask with the big nose. But right. these are just off the charts, cool looking. Yeah, you know, um, I lo- that's a beautiful sequence. And actually, uh, a lot of people, when they go, when they have labyrinth parties, that's what they do. Actually, the Center for Puppetry Arts has a labyrinth ball. That does uh, not surprise me. Uh, for Dragon Con. And oh, people, cool. People go to town on that. Yeah. It's crazy. Um we actually built a bunch of masks for the TV show Atlanta this year. Oh, really? Yeah, for their uh, Helen episode. I don't oh, know I haven't, see, I haven't seen the new season this yet. The new season's great. And they go to Helen, Georgia, and they have this... Uh, oh, German, Helen, Georgia? Yeah, they go have oh, this, like, this German festival, and everybody's wearing masks, and they're all creepy and weird as fuck. And so we took some... Oh, I gotta see some, that, man. We built about, like, 30 or 40 masks for them, and uh, we took some inspiration from that sequence, definitely, from the Labyrinth. Yeah, so for those of you listening, Helen, Georgia is uh, in the, the, the mountains of North Georgia, and 
I don't know the history behind it, but at some point somebody decided let's build a like Austrian German Alpine yeah. town yeah. in North Georgia. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a massive tourist trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I grew up going there like crazy and just thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> you know, I I still have yet to go there. Like, oh, really? I've never been there. And like even reading the script when they were telling me, I was like, is this real? Did they just make this up for the show? But like, yeah, Raymond, you could go and get uh, you could get a handmade um, uh, spindle top. You could get some homemade fudge <laughs> and, and a very ironic uh, old timey Civil War photo of yourself. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. So well, actually, yeah. I, I don't know if they still have that stuff. I bet they do. Knowing Helen, Georgia. Uh, yeah. Uh, I camp a lot around there, though. Camping's okay. probably not yeah. your jam, though, is it? Nah, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not in Helen. It's funny. I have on my notes, the door that becomes a creature with, like, two <laughs> exclamation points. Uh, so at the end of the film, um, it resolves itself very sweetly when, in, in, in an empowering way, too, where, yeah. where Jennifer Connelly's character realizes that that uh, the Goblin King has no power over her. Right. She has kind of solved all these uh, in the true like hero's journey yeah. with the help of her buddies has solved all these riddles almost in that and the final kind of MC Escher-esque set yeah uh, which is very cool looking it's amazing and I have no idea really how they did that actually the, yeah I tell you man uh, I, I definitely encourage people to go and find the behind the scenes stuff on this but there's rigs that have David Bowie mm-hmm. that have a, a rod going up his back mm-hmm. that has a harness around his chest that is on a pivot that basically makes him be able to just rotate up. So they did on. that shit in real, like... Some of it, some of it, wow. like, the, the wide shots where he is, like, you see him just, like, coming up uh-huh. uh, and getting onto his feet like that. Wow. Like, yeah, it's crazy. That's really cool. Obviously, it was a lot of, you know, uh, force perspective and, and match shots. Yeah, yeah. Too, but, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and then, you know, it has a very sweet ending where she's saying goodbye to the her her friends that she had met along the way. And says that you know she wants to to stay buddies yeah. basically. Should you need us? Yeah, and she need and she's like, I do, I, I will do need, need you. you, I do. And it just has that very fun, playful uh, kind of slumber party scene yeah. at the very end, where they're all in her bedroom, right? And uh, and visually, that's such a great scene again because yeah. there's so much going on. Uh, you know, it's an, it's also in great contrast because it, going back to the very beginning, there's a the first time we see the puppets mm-hmm. is jarring and terrifying. Yeah, the goblins with all their faces it's in the screen. full screen. Uh-huh. Like, it's cut to, like, yeah, yeah. this n- normal, like, girl's bedroom. Uh-huh. Smash cut to about, like, two dozen goblins, all full screen, grotesque looking. Yeah. Looking straight into the camera. Yeah. Being like, did she say it? Right, right. And looking around and stuff, and you're just like, whoa! Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty jarring. That. Yeah. Uh, I, that's one of my, like, the scare, like, I remember that, seeing it as a kid and being like, eh. Yeah, uh, and then but like in contrast to that, to the the seeing all the characters in her bedroom, uh-huh. just jumping around, yeah, uh, was also having a good time. Yeah, very cool. Um, all right, well we finish up with two segments, uh, as you know, because you've listened a little bit. What Ebert said. This movie is a complete disappointment. And then uh, five questions. Roger Ebert didn't love this movie. <laughs> and I'm going to read a part of this because right. I think he fucked this up, which uh, makes me mad. Because uh, he says this, and correct me if I'm wrong, he says, one of the key characters in the film is Toby, and that's the baby. Mm-hmm. And he said, played by Toby Froud, mm-hmm. and he said, Froud is a midget. Of course, he uses that word because it's in the 80s. Right. 
who has given who has been given a Muppet head to wear. And although the head is good special effects, I keep wanting the real eyes and real expressions. The effects didn't add anything. He's wrong. That he's is talking about Hoggle. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's no. That's <laughs> almost unforgivable <laughs> to in a as a professional and I, I love Roger Ebert, which is why I read his stuff, but like he completely mixed up like the yeah. character names in print. Yeah. In his own column. Yeah. That's really that, yeah, no, that's wrong. Very and also, he's just that's a, a a poor assessment of the situation. Well, and that, <laughs> yeah, because to me, one of the um, I was gonna, I had a note on here. One of the cool things about this, to me, are and one of the things that make the puppets so engaging is the eyes. Yeah, I think they do such a great job with the Absolutely. eyes. They all look real. Yeah, and they, this is the point where they're like blinking and right. You know, and I think the eyes are what really draw you in. And it's like. Not a human. Like, that's an important part of the character yeah. of Hoggle is the fact that it could have just been some random dude. And, like, uh, to achieve that level of makeup effects back then, uh-huh. you would have had so much on his face. All you would have seen was the eyes. Right. That would have been the only human part of that makeup. And looked phony. Yeah. Like, you don't, wouldn't have the cheek movement or yep. anything else. That yeah. So, so yeah. Ebert, wrong. Wrong. Um, two counts. Wrong. <laughs> and then he has this to say, uh, one problem, another problem with the movie is too long. It's, by the way, like 94 minutes long. <laughs> uh, without a strong plot line to pull us through, all movies like this run the danger of becoming a series of incidents. There's no structure to the order of the adventures. She does this, she does that. She's almost killed here, almost trapped there, and till at last nothing much matters. Great energy and creativity went to the construction, production, and direction, but it doesn't have a story that does justice. So... Uh, Roger Ebert, uh, Roger Ebert, uh, R.I.P. But I didn't know that that you yeah, were no. dead inside <laughs> in 1986. Yeah, I will say this: stru- like Jim was not a big. I this is my opinion. Uh, Jim Henson was not a big like traditional structure storyteller. Uh-huh. You know, his stuff was a series. Of, he was a sketch artist. Like he he comes yeah. from that uh, genre. So like, and even in the writing process of mm-hmm. this, you can see that like. They were very interested in the design aspects of it, and the idea of a traditional narrative arc wasn't at the forefront of their mind when they were creating this. Well, it's not a it's it's not an Academy Award winning script, right? But it's it's a movie for kids, which had a very simple through line, right? uh, And a very traditional again hero's journey, yeah. And like it's that story's been around, and I will say that I think it's the beginning of time. I would, as a caveat, I think it's more of a. I would say it's a family movie, not specifically yeah. for kids. Good point. Um, and that's something that like Jim, and like going back to like what he, the conflicts in his life, he never wanted to be just a kids artist. Right. In fact, he almost didn't do Sesame Street because he was afraid that it was going to pigeonhole him in children's theater. Yeah, and his early stuff. I remember when we did the podcast was. Yeah. Uh, what was the early show called that was a little sort of um uh, well the the, the original body and show, racy the original sh- title of the muppet show was sex and violence right that's it and it was called sex and violence yeah <laughs> hysterical <laughs> so he was an adult that had like stuff you know two thumbs up we give ebert uh, two middle fingers <laughs> today in this room everybody uh all right and we finish with five questions um with raymond carr right. what is the first movie you remember seeing in the theater Oh, my God. The first movie I remember seeing in the theater was probably uh, huh, Ghostbusters. Uh, and we lasted about 
uh, until the library scene. Okay. And, and it got scared. And we, it's when the the, mon- the ghosts like turned to camera and started yelling at them, uh-huh. my brother and I screamed and ran out of the theater. That's and adorable. My parents got their money back. <laughs> First R-rated movie you remember seeing? Terminator Two. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's funny. My brother, they, they, my parents were like, "Oh, your brother's old enough." He was like thirteen. Mm-hmm. I was like he's older. Let's go take him to a R-rated movie. So and you then, got grandfathered in. Uh, yeah, but then they took me too. It's right. like I wasn't old enough. <laughs> I still love that movie. It was great. Yeah, it holds up. Uh, we were just talking about that the other day in a mini crush that mm-hmm. that um, Robert Patrick's like the silver goo. Like yeah. that still looks pretty good. Yeah, you the know? movie is it's damn near perfect. Yeah. Um, will you walk out of a bad movie? No, not now. I mean, especially not now. Just yeah. because I movies are a expensive mm-hmm. and b I go to the theater so rarely these days. You know, it's you pick a good and one. And also, like, I'm, like, it's not like I'm so busy that I've got to get my last, like, five minutes. And, and I just like stories in general. So, yeah. and there's going to be some redeeming quality in it. So. Yeah, I hear you. I, I'm kind of there, too. Um, like, I don't, you don't take a flyer anymore. Like, yeah. oh, maybe this will be good. Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to go see Infinity War or Black Panther because I know that exactly. those are going to be great. Yeah. Although I did see those, the fucking Justice League movie. <laughs> And I should have walked out. <laughs> Scotty and I were talking about that last uh, night, man. How yeah, that was, how that does was DC great. get it so it's wrong not, it's not, it's when not Marvel great. is just destroying because it? Because there's a whole other conversation. I know. Yeah, yeah that's a whole different show. <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. Um, I'm going to do, uh, do a Raymond-specific question All for right. number four. Dream puppet job. Like, what what puppet do you wish you had been the operator for in history in history yeah not like dream job in the future yeah yeah, yeah. um i think that i would have loved to have uh been on alien queen mother whoa yeah all right if i you... thought you were gonna say like no nah, i want to be fozzy bear <laughs> <laughs> look i've been the part of it is because i know that i'm not talented enough to do fozzy bear uh but, Which uh, is not true, by the way. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, but like, I, I've always loved the, the. I've always been a spectacle guy. Uh-huh. Like, I love the comedy and the, and the silliness. But like, I've always been a spectacle guy. And like, that and the thing, melding of sci-fi. Like, of yeah, man, that thing is just a spectacle to yeah. behold. And like, even if you like go into watch like YouTube of like behind the scenes mm-hmm. of that thing, just seeing that thing just come to life. Yeah, is just amazing. All right, boy, that's a good answer. Uh, and then finally, movie going one hundred and one. What's your what's your jam in the theater? What do you where do you sit? What do you get at the concession stand? What's your ritual? Uh, all right, so I definitely have a Pavlovian addiction to popcorn. Mm-hmm. Like even if I've had a full meal, I still have to have a popcorn, and <laughs> yeah. I'm sick by the end of the movie. Yes, um, I'll usually get you know a Sprite, or if I am a maybe an adult beverage if they have it there. Okay, um, yeah. and then I like to be front center so like i i go to imax if i'm in imax mm-hmm. i would like the movie to be literally the maximum view of my eyes uh-huh. and if it's the same with movie theaters i won't be like on the front front but it doesn't make sense to me to sit in the back of the theater uh-huh. then why don't you should just watch it at home if you're going to be all the way back there so like in a stadium seating are you in the stadium part or are you down on the lower part where it's still flat i'm in the back of the lower part okay gotcha so I don't have to crank crank my head very much, uh-huh. but I am also like getting the maximum view of the thing. Gotcha. I want to stick my head inside of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to end. Good stuff, man. Absolutely. I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. 
right, everybody. How fun was that? Holy cow. Man, I felt like we could have gone on forever. Ray is such a cool guy. And uh, just a real pleasure to have him in here and catch up with him. And um, just amazing, man. You, you really need to go online and check out the stuff that he's done, uh, especially that Spaceman that we talked about. It's just astounding, the level of talent that uh, that Raymond has. Um, go to ninjapuppetproductions.com uh, to see all his work. And hopefully you've seen some of his work on, on PBS or uh, anything else he's doing. He's just a, a good a good fella. And uh, I'm glad I can count him as a friend. So it was very nice of him to stop by and take time out of his busy schedule and give me the lowdown on the craft of puppetry, which um, is really, really impressive. Very cool stuff. And we're also proud of Raymond that he, he made it to the bigs and he's working with the Henson Company. Um, it's just really, really cool to see him thriving like this. So uh, that is it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we will see you next time. And until then... Why don't you stick your hand up a puppet and see what happens? Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.